The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. As you're finding your place in the third chapter of Micah, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, maybe what this text is going to show us this morning, some similarities in some things we can observe in our culture today. A good feature of American government, and in other governments as well, is what we would call a balance of powers. You know what, what I'm referring to when I say that? I'm talking about this government that is composed of three uh, semi-independent branches, each which has unique privileges, which include a check on the other two. And so it's designed on purpose that way uh, so that each branch can hold the others accountable, make sure they're all working together for the common good. So the executive branch in our country is directed by the President of the United States, and that branch has power to originate programs, but its power is balanced by Congress, which is the legislative branch, because it has to fund the programs. So, theoretically, if Congress doesn't fund the president's programs, then the programs just never come into existence because they don't have funding. Congress has the right to make laws, but its powers are not absolute either because the judicial branch, which is headed by the Supreme Court, has the power to declare those laws unconstitutional. So to round out the picture, then the president has power over the court through his right to appoint justices, and then Congress has power over the president and the Supreme Court justices because of its right to impeach them if a situation would warrant that action. So if you think back, that's just a brief civics lesson, okay? But if you think back to the presidency in the uh, early 70s uh, of Richard Nixon, okay? So if you think about when he was president, uh, this scandal of Watergate that developed, that provided a working demonstration of this system of checks and balances because the executive branch, the president, had become corrupt and engaging in illegal spying activities against American citizens and then trying to cover them up. So the situation was righted when Congress began an investigation leading to a possible impeachment proceeding against the president, Richard Nixon. So that was how the branches of government were designed to operate. But, let me throw this hypothetical out there. What if all three branches of the government became corrupt and then worked hand in hand to oppress the citizens of the country? Then what would happen? Because that system of checks and balances that was designed to keep things in order would be out the window, right? Because if all three branches, and when each one is supposed to hold the others accountable, if that, didn't, if that was not the case, then they could all work together and it would be terrible for the citizens of that nation. Okay? So little could be done in a situation like that except for the inevitable, and that would be a revolution to overthrow the corrupt government entirely and, and, and maybe even to uh, begin again, so to speak. So, so why do I say all that? Why do I 
mentioned that example and that um, system. Well, something very, very similar was taking place within God's people. You have uh, a nation, a divided nation, Israel and Judah, northern and southern kingdoms, and they had gotten to a point where they had rebelled, as we've talked about the last two weeks in the first and second chapters of Micah. They had rebelled against God's word, against his plan, his design, his direction. They had stopped listening to God, and now they were starting to see the consequences of their actions. So today, we're going to see within God's people, again, and, and you'll see this reoccurring in Scripture, especially in this prophecy of Micah. It's a, it's a message of judgment, but there's also a message of hope. It's never, uh, the, 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 cost is never uh, the cause is never lost, I should say. So there's always an opportunity if there is repentance. There's always an opportunity to turn back to God. So let's read, we're going to read Micah chapter 3, beginning verse 1, and go down through the fifth verse of chapter 4. So we're going to go just into chapter 4 a little bit today in this message that I've entitled, A Cry for Justice. A Cry for Justice. Listen to what the Bible says. Micah chapter 3, verse 1. And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as for the pot and as meat in a kettle? Then they will cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. Instead, He will hide His face from them at that time, because they have practiced evil deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead My people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against Him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore it will be night for you, without vision, and darkness for you, without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets, and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths, because there is no answer from God. On the other hand, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple will become high places of a forest. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us about His ways, 
and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your word and I pray in Jesus' name that you will speak clearly to us. Lord, if there's anything that I'm planning to say that is not in accordance with your word, I pray that I would not say it and that you'd help us to focus entirely on what you have said, what your truth is, not on my opinion or anybody else's, but just on your word, that we'd be transformed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this passage of scripture is really interesting in the way it breaks down and tells us about what's going on within God's people, and then the similarities that we can see in our own culture and our context. The first thing we see in this text is in chapter, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we see a corrupt judicial system, a corrupt judicial system. You see the way it's addressed, the heads of Jacob, the rulers of Israel, but look at the description of these people. Now, it's good to remember here, before we really break this down, this is God's people. Okay, so the description that we read, I wouldn't think it would be what it is, because this is God's people we're talking to. But look at the description. They hate good. They love evil. That's backwards. They tear off skin. They tear flesh from their bones. Talking about the way they treat other people. In these first four verses, they eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin, break their bones. So now we're talking about the leadership within God's people, how they're treating one another, how they're treating the citizens of God's nation, Israel and Judah. The judicial system hates good and loves evil. So that means the, the one place that you think you could go to find justice to have the wrongs made right. And if someone has, someone's done me wrong, where, what recourse do I have? Where can I go to get help? Well, I'll go to the courts. I'll go to the justice system. Well, guess what? If the justice system is corrupt, you, you have no recourse. You ha have no place to go to find justice. And that's what's happening here. They're going to cry out to the Lord, the, the, the leadership, that is, and God's not going to answer them. He will hide his face from them, and he'll, he'll do this because of their evil deeds. Now see, a judge is in a position of leadership and authority whereby they can make decisions that affect many other people, right? So a judge is supposed to be above reproach. A judge is supposed to be that final word of, of reason and truth and logic. They're supposed to not be uh, partial. They're supposed to be, by definition, impartial. They're supposed to take the law 
in, in, in like in our context, the Constitution, the evidence, the, and, and the, uh, compare that to what the law says, this is right, this is wrong, and make a judgment. Impartial, not biased. That's not what's happening. It's not what's happening. The people are suffering because the, the um, judges, the judicial system, Micah is accusing them of perverting justice. And so God's going to treat them the way they treated the innocent people of Jerusalem. You know, that, that's uh, the golden rule, right? What, what's the golden rule? Do unto others before they do it unto you, right? Is that, is that how that goes? No. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, not wait to see how they treat me and that's how I'm going to treat them. No, I'm going to treat them in the way I would like them to treat me. So however I treat somebody else... And now think about that. Think about the implications because that means however I treat somebody else... That means by my actions, I am saying I would be fine if people would treat me that way. Okay? That, that's a big deal. That means if I want people to show me kindness, if I want people to be understanding with me, even when I make mistakes, then that means I should be kind and show understanding when other people make mistakes, right? Well, that, that's not so easy to do. It's real easy to say, and it's real easy to agree with, but it's not easy to live it out. Because that's not how we feel in the moment, right? Sometimes we like to judge other people by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions, right? Think about that. Well, I, I didn't mean to do that. I would never do that on purpose. Well, okay, well, maybe that's how they felt. Maybe they didn't do it on purpose, okay? So think about the corrupt judicial system here that Micah addresses, and then think about this one verse you like to jot them down, here's one for you. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. You remember what that text says? Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? And then he says, to heed is better than sacrifice and to obey is better than the fat of rams. In other words, God just wants, he doesn't need your stuff, he wants your heart. He, he wants you to obey His voice. He, he's, he's got enough stuff. He's got it all. Okay? The sacrifice was a mechanism to demonstrate what was in our hearts. It was to say, this is how much I, I, I love you, Lord. This is how much I'm committed to following you because I'm going to do what you say. I don't understand why I've got to do this because you own everything, but you said to do it, I'm going to do it. That, that's the, the heart that is devoted to Christ. So... The first thing they're dealing with is a corrupt judicial system. Secondly, a corrupt prophetic system. Verses 5 through 8, now you see these prophets. In verse 5 even says, he says, the, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who lead my people astray. Now can you imagine? What is a prophet's job? What is their central task? This is what God said. Right? He's an intermediary. The prophet comes and says, this is what the Lord says. Right? So if that's their one job, how are you going to fail at your one job? You don't have to come up with your own message. You, and, and by the way, I fear that there are people who occupy the position of a preacher 
but they're a lot more busy giving you their opinions than they are telling you what God said. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what, I'm not the best preacher in the world. I know that. There's a lot of people I listen to that I think are a lot better at it than I am. A lot of people that, that are better pastors, better preachers, and I'm under no illusion that I'm some, you know, wonderful... I'm not, I don't think like that, because I know that's not true. But I'll tell you one thing. I am not going to stand up here with anything but this book. Because nobody needs to know, nobody should care, really, what I think. Because my opinion has no authority. God has the authority. God's Word is our authority. And, and that's what we have to hear from. So it's not about what I think. It's not about what any of us think. It's about what God has said. And see, when God, you know, you, you hear these little, these quaint phrases, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, that sounds great, but there's a problem with that. That little middle phrase there, I believe it, that really is irrelevant. How about this? God said it, that settles it. In the story, when God speaks, the d debate is over. Okay, and we we, I think people sometimes get off uh, the beaten path, so to speak, because it's more about what I think about what God says than what God actually said. And, and we we're we're treading on some thin ice when when we get to that point when we're sitting in judgment over. Well, let me see how I feel about that. Well, you know what? How I feel about what God said is really not part of the equation. Because God said it. It's the truth. Okay? And so how we de decide to, to respond is not part of the, the question of whether or not it's true. So these prophets were leading people astray. And look at verse 5. If you, hey, if you, this, this, this sounds like it could have been a Southern Baptist congregation. You know what I'm talking about? You read verse 5? Hey, if, you, if you'll give me a meal, I'll, I'll tell you something good. Oh, you don't have any food for me? No, you're, you're going to be in war. You're going to be in judgment. So the, the prophecy is good or bad based on what the dinner looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's not how we do it, okay? Uh, it, it would be beneficial, but that's not how we do it. So it says when they have something to, to eat, they cry peace. But when they have nothing to eat, they declare holy war. So they're tailoring, this is... When, oh, this is good. I hadn't thought about this. When, this is when politics invades prophecy. I'm going to say something to this audience based on what I think they want to hear. But then when I go speak to this audience, my message is going to change because I think they're going to want to hear something different. So I'm going to tailor my message to the audience. Well, guess what? The preacher, the preacher does not have the option to change the message based on who's sitting in the congregation. The preacher is supposed to open this book and says, Thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And then we just, you know, if, if it makes us feel good, that's great. If it doesn't, that's unfortunate, but that's the truth. And so these prophets leading the people astray, basing their message on what they are given and, and by the way, hearing no word from God is a problem. Think about like in between the Testaments, between the end of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ, like 400 years of silence. 
That's a problem. When you don't hear from the Lord, that's a problem. And so hearing a word that is not from God, from a corrupt prophet, is even a more serious problem. James Boyce says it's better to remain silent than to speak words that lead someone else astray when it comes to spiritual matters. The prophets had good words for, for those who fed them, bad words for those who would not feed them. And, and it's, it's a terrible thing to make an error in the matter of salvation, but it's more terrible to teach other people your own error. It's even worse to do it for personal gain. So here ministers and other religious leaders speak, write, and establish groups just for money. They deceive millions of people. Have you ever heard uh, a preacher on television God will bless you. Just send your check to such and such address and here's how I spell my name. And it's, it's all about money. It's all about money. It's deception. It's prophets who are leading people astray. See, these, these were... This is maybe the worst part of this section. These were not false prophets. They were God's prophets who should have known better. They, they were in, within God's people... They knew the truth, but they preferred to speak lies. So you've got a corrupt judicial system. You have a corrupt prophetic system. Number three, a corrupt political system. Verse 9. They were to see that justice was established through the courts, were to protect the nation against the encroachment of other nations, and Judah's leaders had failed to carry out their responsibility. So... The Bible says here in verse 9, they're addressing again the heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel. They abhor justice. They, their main job is to be just and to protect their people. And, and they hate the very thing they're supposed to uh, uphold. It, it's a terrible situation. The leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. So you see in verse 11, it's all about money. They're, they're taking in Money. They're building Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. So everything they do or say, the policies they make, the laws they choose to uphold, it's all based on money. Now, I, I, didn't, I, I don't want to go down this path too far, but it, I think it's worth mentioning there are similarities in our culture, right? There are similarities in our culture depends on who you know and how much money you have or whether or not you can get something done your way. And, and that, that's a terrible commentary. It's a terrible thing to find a similarity such as that in our culture when, it's, when we're reading a prophecy about things that uh, are reasons why God brought judgment on His people. And then the, the worst part of this whole thing is the fact that they are ignorant or maybe just deceived about what they're doing. Because look at what the Bible says here in verse 11, right after the prophecy talks about receiving bribes, taking money, and, and that's determining what's going, going to be done. And then look at the second part of verse 11. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, well, isn't the Lord in our midst? Nothing bad's going to happen to us. You know what that is right there? That, or I should say, we have a, we have a modern day equivalent to that right there. 
our modern day equivalent is God bless America. Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter if our nation honors God. Doesn't matter if we follow the Bible. God bless America. God come bless our nation. Bless our people. Bless our efforts. Meanwhile, we're not going to pay any attention to what you tell us to do, how you tell us to live, and, and your commandments and your word, your will for our lives. We're not going to pay any attention to that, but we still expect God bless America. You understand the inconsistency there? The hypocrisy to live any which way we choose and yet still expect God to bless us and bless our nation when our nation as a, as a whole, as a majority, has turned away from God? We don't want God in our, in our schools. We don't want God in our communities. We want God in our government. We don't want God to be a part of anything we do. But then you watch... It doesn't matter who it is. It's across the board. You watch uh, elected officials give a speech. And what's the last thing they say? God bless you and God bless America. It doesn't matter what they've said before in their speech. God bless America. Do you you think he will? Do you think God is going to bless America? A nation who is going away from him and his word. I choose to believe that's not how it works. That's how, I, that's how I see it. So in verse 12, the Bible says, On account of you. So he's talking to all the leadership here. And remember, you, you've got a corrupt judicial system, a corrupt prophetic system, you've got a corrupt political system. And the Bible says, On account of you. Zion's going to be plowed up like a field. Jerusalem's going to be a heap of ruins. And this mountain of the temple that was supposed to be the center of the community and the nation is going to be high places of a forest. God is going to overthrow them and the system they had created because they had not established a just order that was based on God's Word. And and we're going to get to this at the end here at the conclusion Uh, so I don't want to say this too early, but there are consequences. There are always consequences for our actions. That's a a concept that is as old as humanity. There are consequences for our actions. We can't uh, do one thing and expect nothing to happen. Uh, One of the greatest bits of wisdom I've, I've ever heard is you are free to make your own decisions but you are not free to choose the consequences. You're you're not free to choose the consequences. You can make whatever choice you want to make. You can do whatever you want to do, but you can't choose the consequences for those actions because they're going to be what they they are. You know, if you want to go out and, and steal a car, go right ahead. That's fine. You have the freedom to do that, but you don't have the freedom to object when you get caught and you go to jail. That's the consequence, right? So you can do, yeah, you, can, you have freedom. You can do whatever you want. But the, every action has a consequence, okay? So that's a concept that we need to remember. So, so after all this judgment, these three sections of corruption that Micah centers in on here, there's always, it's tempered with a message of hope. 
So when you, if we stopped right there, we would leave thinking, well, good grief, that's a pretty bleak picture. That's terrible sounding. But then you go to chapter 4, the first five verses, and you start to see there's always a message of hope, and it's found, freedom is found in a relationship with God. Following God and His direction. See, under God's management, all that had been corrupted in Judah will be overcome and men and women are going to be set free to worship the Lord. When you get to chapter 4, listen to how the, the mood seems to change. It will come about in the last days. So see, right now, things are bad and this, this is the consequence. This is what's happening because of the, the evil actions. But it's going to come about in the last days that this mountain that was just spoken of in verse 12, the mountain of the house of the Lord is going to be established as the chief of mountains. It's going to be raised back up. And so there's going to be freedom. There's going to actually be four uh, categories even of freedom because of God and His movement to uh, restore and reconcile the people as they come back to Him Freedom from ignorance of the law. Verse 2, God's going to establish His rule in Jerusalem and everyone is going to learn the law of God, become missionaries of it. So we're going to spread the word. Verse 2, verse 3, there's going to be freedom from war. The basis for a true peace is not found in a balance of, of arms. It's uh, knowledge of the law of God, obedience to the law and the gospel. So when you see verse 3, He's going to judge between many peoples. He's going to render decisions for mighty distant nations. So God is going to establish justice. And look at the, the end of verse 3. The stuff that they were using for war, they're not going to need that anymore. They're going to take their swords and hammer them into plowshares. Their spears are going to hammer them into pruning hooks. They're going to use them for agricultural use. Not, not going to need them for, for war anymore because it says the, the nation's not going to lift up sword against nation. Never again will they learn war because God's uh, freedom is going to change the people from the inside out. Verse 4, there's going to be freedom from want. Resources that went into war is going to go into other things, just like uh, the end of verse 3. And then there's going to be freedom from fear. Verse 4, there's no one to make them afraid. And how do we know that these things are going to come about? How do we have assurance or confidence that that's going to happen? Look at the last sentence of verse 4. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. See, when God speaks, things happen. And when He speaks, that is a communication unlike any other you know, I can say something, and you can believe it or not believe it. You know, I don't carry any special kind of authority. Uh, if I say something, people may choose to respond or not respond. But, but when God says something, that's a different ballgame. It's almost like when we looked at the other night uh, from Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember how the people responded as Jesus completed his teaching? They were amazed. And, and why was that? Because Jesus was speaking as one who had authority, not like their scribes. So the human leaders didn't carry the same level of 
authority as Jesus did. And, and that's a truth that is throughout Scripture. When God speaks, it just has more meaning. And so all the peoples, even though, look at verse 5 when it has a, the lowercase g, God, though all peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, who's us? That's God's people. As for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Does that remind you of anything? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to it and, and read it to you. Because it puts me in mind of Joshua in the last chapter of Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 and he looks at the people and he says if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord then choose this day who you'll serve the gods uh, your father served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. And so all the way over here in Micah, chapter 4 and verse 5, as for us, we're going to walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever because there are consequences to our actions. Let me close with this. And, and if you would like to, I know you're in Micah, if you turn backward in your Old Testament, to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is, is a fitting way to end this study of, of this text today. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We're talking about consequences for actions. We're talking about, uh, hey, you, you decide for yourself who you're going to follow. We're going to follow the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, there's a verse that is used frequently as an encouragement and as a point to say, hey, if we do this, God's going to do this. And it's, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land, right? Well, let me just put this in context for us. Because there's a comparison here we need to make between 2 Chronicles 7, verses 12 to 18 and 2 Chronicles 7, verses 19 to 22. So we take that one verse out and it sounds so good, it makes us feel good and, and be happy. We need to pray and seek God's face. Let me put it in context for you. Go back to verse 12. Solomon had finished the house of the Lord. Verse 12 says, The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, if I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and then my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways... Then I'll hear from heaven, and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. And now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. For now I've chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And as for you, if you, if, if you walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all I've commanded you, 
and keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying you shall not lack a man to be ruler in Israel. You see that? It's a cause and effect. If you'll do these things, if you'll follow me, if you'll keep my commandments, then I will be with you. You'll never lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now, that makes us feel really good. But I want everybody to make sure you don't stop reading. Don't miss verse 19. Because in verse 19, the Bible says, But if you turn away and you forsake my statutes and my commandments which I've set before you, and you go out and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot you from my land. And by the way, let's not miss that little word. Who, whose land is it? It's God's land. I'll uproot you from my land, which I have given you. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. I'll make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. You know what that means? It'll be a story people tell among themselves. As for this house, which was exalted... Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they'll say, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them from the land of Egypt. And they adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, He has brought all this adversity on them. You see, there are consequences for our actions. There were consequences for God's people to whom Micah was prophesying. There are consequences for the people uh, of Israel where, where Second Chronicles was, uh, Solomon was, was hearing from the Lord about what he needed to do and how he needed to lead in order to maintain God's blessings. And there are consequences today for us. We, we cannot live as if God has not spoken. Because He has spoken. And not only has He spoken, we have access to His message. And we are, if we're going to follow Him and call ourselves His children, then we must follow what He has told us. Because if we don't, there are consequences. Obedience leads to blessing. Rebellion leads to a curse. God could not be any more clear in His Word. As for us, we will walk after the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.